that's a fairly good-sized subject. So then, in an even quieter voice, he says, well, the churches. And uh, we can probably superficially look at them in about three hours. We'll pro- I decided to cut it down a little bit more because uh, the book of Revelation is the uh, summation of the entire scripture. And uh, the, uh, it's, it's one that, for some reason, isn't uh, widely used in sermons. The, a lot of people have the idea that, oh, oh we got good guys on the machine. <laughs> Which one am I using, that one or this one? This one? Okay. Uh, they, a lot of people think of the Bible as the New Testament. And then there's the Old Testament, which was for people long ago. And then there's the Revelation, which who knows why it's there. And that's not really how the Word of God works. Uh, the Scripture has one author. And he dictated the whole thing from the very first verse to the very last verse. And uh, the whole thing is called the whole counsel of God. When uh, uh, Paul was on his way to Jerusalem for his final trip and he was taking leave from the elders in Ephesus, the, uh, uh, they, were, they didn't want to see him go because they knew that uh, this would be his last trip that he would be taken prisoner there because they'd had warnings from the Spirit to that effect. And uh, he said, you know, I've taught you the entire counsel of God. And I think that that's, uh, that's really how we should look at Scripture as well, that I know some of you are reading the Bible. That's a very good thing. And uh, the, uh, the way the Scripture is set up... Uh, all of the themes that are in the Bible are introduced in the first 11 chapters. Uh, interestingly enough, that part is referred to as a prehistoric period, and uh, where Abram enters the uh, picture, that's called the historic period. I don't know why they call it prehistoric, because we know all about it. It's all in the scripture. But the, uh, at, the, at the end, the last book, now, first of all, it's called Revelation. It's singular, not plural. Some people call it Revelations. It's one revelation. It says it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, the opening words in that book. Uh, it has a, a few other really unique characteristics, and, and one of them is that uh, it says, Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. And... Uh, there is no other book in the Bible that promises a blessing to those that read and hear it. And I think uh, since we all desire blessing, we should all read it. And we should probably talk about it a lot more than we do. The uh, book is easy to understand because it tells us what the contents are. If you are in the first chapter and you go to verse 19, uh, John, the uh, person who received this, he was told to write, therefore, what you have seen, which is the first thing, and what is now, and what will take place later. And the uh, uh, part that Jason asked me to talk about is what is what is now, which is the churches. The first part is a, a vision of Christ 
and that's an eternal uh, situation. You know, that's the eternal Lord. The second part is the church, which is now uh, sneaking up on 2,000 years of history. And uh, you can understand why speaking about the last 2,000 years would have probably consumed more than this morning. So we'll, uh, we'll cut that down a little bit. But the, uh, the part hereafter is the part that takes up most of the book. There's only two chapters on the church. The rest of the uh, latter part of the book is all given over to what was coming afterward. But the church was first, in, or the idea of the church the uh, the first signs of it were laid in chapter 2 of, Gen of Genesis. It goes all the way back. It's sort of reminded of uh, building. You know, when you build, you start by digging a hole, and then you start building a foundation. And Scripture does the same thing. The, uh, it lays uh, piece by piece. It lays the foundation. And gradually the picture emerges. And this, of course, makes the Bible much more interesting reading than if it was a bunch of bullet point issues. You know, when uh, I look at the uh, scripture, it sort of reminds me of when we built the ship. When I went down there, there was a truckload of steel lying in the snow, and there were half a dozen guys standing there scratching their heads. And uh, <laughs> nobody that was there had ever seen a ship inside anyway, and they had uh, no idea, like, what are we going to do? Uh, how is this going to fit together? And uh, the, uh, It was sort of interesting because as we were rooting through this stuff, I said, well, we can move that sheet aside because that's not a part of the tank we're going to build. And uh, they immediately thought I was worth listening to. And, uh, it, it, it's it's really strange how a little bit of knowledge can can make such a difference, you know. And in scripture, we don't have to know a whole lot to make a big difference. The uh, so what we'll do, uh, we're going to look at one of the churches only, and we're going to start in the beginning, and we'll uh, start the story of the church where it starts. Those of you that have been reading through the Bible, uh, you've, uh, you've probably uh, noticed that in the beginning when God created everything, he made uh, the animals, male and female. And that makes sense because we know that that's the only way to really build a herd. And when he made Adam, he created Adam, no Eve. And I'm sure you thought to yourself, I wonder why he did that. That doesn't make any sense. But uh, when you get into the second chapter, you find that in, uh, for the creation of Eve, the Lord opened Adam's side and he took out a rib and he made Eve from that. And what he was illustrating was there's a price to pay. You're, the bride doesn't come for nothing. And Adam gave up uh, he gave up a rib and later on when as you read through the Bible and you get to the New Testament you find that the Lord died on the cross the soldier opened his side and blood issued out the price of the church is the blood of the lamb and the so then it begins to make some sense you you, you realize why he did what he did 
because he was illustrating a point. Now, that, that's a really obvious one, because you can see that by simply reading it. You know, and as you get into the story, you read the story of Noah and uh, how the, uh, Noah and his family were spared from uh, the uh, um, issues that came on the world. But also there are some things that are not so obvious, you know, they require a little bit more searching out. And uh, in Proverbs, the, uh, Solomon says that it's the glory of God to conceal a thing. And it's the honor of a king to, to find it out or to search it out. So I'll just uh, look at one of them. We're, we're in the prehistoric period. So in uh, chapter 5, there's a little genealogy there, and uh, it, it just uh, speaks about ten individuals from Adam to Noah. And uh, uh, we had a little bit of a primer in phonetics here this morning. Uh, I'm just uh, uh, in the Hebrew language, like in English, uh, letters make sounds, and you put letters together and you can make sounds, and sometimes what you put together is actually a word that means something. But in uh, Hebrew, the letters also had meanings individually. Uh, for example, the first letter, Aleph, meant leader, or first, or head. And the uh, second letter was that, and it meant house. And uh, if you put A and B together, you know, Aleph and Beth, uh, that was the word for father, the leader of the house. And so that was... Uh, the language was different in that respect. And when they named uh, their kids, the names also had meanings greater than just the sound that they made. So if you read that genealogy, you find that it begins with Adam. And Adam simply means man. Uh, Seth yeah, can mean several things. One of the meanings is appointed. And uh, Enosh the third person in that list means mortal. Uh, I, I, you know, I know kids nowadays get some totally weird names, but can you imagine being called mortal? And, and Canaan, the next one, was sorrow. These are pretty miserable names. Uh, if you read the scripture, though, you find things weren't going very well in, in the world in those days. But then we get a different one, and, and he, his name is a real mouthful. It's Mahalalil, and it means the blessed God. So there was a change of pace in the naming process there. And Jared, the next one, means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Enoch is an interesting guy, by the way. Uh, it said that he was 65 years old. And uh, then he walked with God for 300 years, and then he was no more. He was raptured. Uh, Enoch was the, <laughs> the very first prophet in the Bible. And it's interesting, he gave a prophecy on the second coming of Christ. And that prophecy wasn't recorded until the New Testament, until the letter of Jude. So if you want to read Enoch's prophecy, prophecy you can read it in the book of Jude. And, uh, the, uh, and he, he spoke there about the second advent of the Lord. The next one is Methuselah, and you, you all know about him. He lived practically forever, and uh, his name means his death shall bring. 
And I think everybody wanted him to live forever because whatever was going to go wrong, it ha would happen when Methuselah died. And in fact, it did. The year that Methuselah died, the flood came. And Lamech, which the word from which we get lamentation, means despairing. And Noah means comfort or rest. And if you put all of those together and just read that, it says, Man is appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching his death shall bring despairing comfort and rest. And that's the gospel of the church. And, and that is in chapter 5 of Genesis. So you were interested in knowing that, weren't you? Because we had a little teaser of that in our study of, of uh, Revelation. Now that, uh, we'll, we'll leave the prehistory at that point because uh, I think we're going to run out of time here. If we uh, go a little further into Genesis, into the historic period, we have an interesting story which actually takes quite a few chapters from chapter 22 and it goes on to, oh, uh, chapter 24, the end of it, and they're quite long chapters. Uh, this was where God told uh, Abram to take Isaac and sacrifice him. And uh, this was all after uh, God had uh, repeatedly promised Abram that his, he would have a son and that his people would become as numerous as the stars in the heaven and the sand on the sea and all that. And Abram realized that he only had the one son through whom the promise was given. So uh, God said to him, uh, he, he says, uh, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Now, uh, it says early the next morning, Abram got up, saddled his donkey, and away he went. That's uh, pretty interesting. Now, uh, this, this actually paints a picture of God sending his son to die for our sin. And uh, in the, uh, the way God works and the way God thinks, that uh, it, it, when you've decided to do something, it's the same as if you've done it. You remember when uh, Jesus was talking about obeying the law in the New Testament? And, uh, you know, this uh, Pharisee said, well, I haven't killed anyone. He said, I'll tell you something. If you've hated someone with the intent of killing him, you've killed him as, as far as sin is concerned. So Adam had, uh, went, once he decided what he was going to do, in his mind, Isaac was dead. It was a done thing. It says the trip took three days to get from where he was camped to Mount Moriah where he was going to offer this sacrifice. And uh, we, we all know the story because the Lord provided uh, a sacrifice for him and Isaac was spared. Abram believed that the Lord would resurrect Isaac if he had to sacrifice him. Now, when we get to the story of Easter, we find that Christ, when he was sacrificed, he spent three days in the grave as well. And uh, Isaac and, and Abram, they, he spent three days where he thought Isaac was dead. And to him he was. 
you know, the Lord provided the sacrifice, and uh, Isaac was spared, but that God knew that Abraham uh, trusted him. Now, in your Sunday school story, that's where the story ends. But if you look at Scripture, that's not really where it ends, because when that was over, and Abram, it says Abram went back and he joined his uh, servants and the way they went. It doesn't mention Isaac. As a matter of fact, we go through several chapters where uh, uh, Sarah dies and Abram buys a burial place for her and uh, the, uh, uh, Isaac isn't playing any role in the, in the picture at all. And we don't actually see Isaac again until uh, Abram sends his servant to find a bride for Isaac. And when he, when he returns with the bride, then Isaac goes out to meet her. And uh, in, in the story of the church, when the Lord had completed his work of salvation on the cross, he returned to heaven, and he's not here now. He sent his comforter. He sent the Spirit to be with us, and, and Abram, uh, you know, to, to build the church and to uh, provide the bride. And Abram sent his uh, servant as well. You know, and in, uh, interestingly enough, in this part of the story, it just calls him the servant. It doesn't call him by name. But we know who he was because earlier on uh, we learned that his name was Eliezer. But that isn't mentioned in this part because the Spirit works anonymously. The Spirit takes no glory for himself. So this whole picture of the Lord being in heaven and the Spirit of God being here building his church is carried right through here. Now, admittedly, these are pretty rough outlines because the whole thing isn't very clear yet. But you can see where it's going. And we're still in Genesis chapter 22. And the, we, we can already see this skeleton of a church uh, starting to emerge. So uh, we'll just uh, leave that for now and um, fast forward to uh, Revelation because we'll probably get hungry here eventually. Now, each of these churches, uh, there are seven of them, and uh, that's sort of interesting because seven is a recurring number in Scripture, and seven uh, means a completed work in, in uh, Hebrew. And so we're going to look at church number six uh, for a variety of reasons. One of them is this is a pretty nice church, and uh, we like to think that we're like that. The first... Uh, each letter has a format. The first one is the name of the church, and it says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? Uh, Philadelphia means uh, brotherly love. And uh, yeah, for Americans here, there's a city in the U.S., and they call themselves the city of brotherly love, although it's not always readily apparent. But uh, that, uh, is, that is the meaning of the word. So this was a church that uh, sort of got it right. They, uh, and uh, all of the churches had, there were seven things about the churches, but not all of the churches had something in each category. And this, there were two churches uh, about which the Lord expressed no concerns. 
One of them was Smyrna, which was the Church of the Martyrs, and, and that's a church that's abundantly represented in the world today. And the other one was the uh, uh, Church of Philadelphia. There were two churches about which he had nothing good to say. That's very disturbing. But uh, Philadelphia was one about which there were no concerns expressed. The, the second uh, part of each letter, the Lord identifies himself. And, and the identification is pertinent to the issues that are going on in each of those churches. By the way, as, as far as location is concerned, all of these churches were in what today is, is western Turkey. And it was Asia Minor then. It was called the province of Asia. And uh, Philadelphia, uh, the church there persisted for a long, long time even after the Muslims conquered that whole territory. So they, it, it lasted for hundreds of years. It was a very enduring church, but it was never big. It was always a small church, which is an interesting point. It says, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Uh, this key of David reference that is made here It, uh, it's spoken about by the prophet Isaiah. And uh, in the days of King Hezekiah, who was uh, one of the few uh, good kings that Judah had, uh, he had a, a chief servant who turned out not to be very trustworthy. And uh, the, uh, he had to uh, take away the key or the storehouses and all the other stuff, and he gave it to a, a, another servant who was trustworthy. And uh, the uh, so he, this guy had control over the treasuries and over all of the uh, assets of the kingdom. And when he opened the door, it was open, and when he locked it, it was locked. And the uh, nowadays, this reference refers to the mission field because the Lord unlocks a mission field or he locks it. And the church in uh, Philadelphia was a mission church. They went out and proclaimed the gospel and where they were sent, they went. And uh, you know, we like to uh, be, a, we want to be a mission church. We would like to be like that church in Philadelphia. Uh, most churches would like to be like that. Not all churches are, unfortunately. But this uh, was uh, this is a uh, characteristic of this church. He says, uh, "I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut." So he says, I, "You know, I've opened the mission field to you. I've given you this opportunity." He says, "I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name." He says, "I know you're a small church." You, you, you're not working uh, from a strength of numbers, but he says, I've, I've this opportunity I've given to you, and uh, he says, you've kept my word and have not denied my name. So uh, we, we had a little lesson on that this morning. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. You know, and uh, 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 Christian churches are not highly respected. 
in our society. And yet the Lord says that all those that are against you uh, will eventually come and, and respect the, the fact that you are my people. And so this is an interesting uh, promise to a small church because uh, Philadelphia was situated on a ridge, uh, a low mountain range, and it was volcanic. They had lots of earthquakes, and they got shook up quite a bit. And uh, you know, not uh, long after the crucifixion of Christ, they had a major earthquake that flattened the place, but they rebuilt it. And uh, the uh, it wasn't a, a really safe and stable place to live. And you know, for us, the world isn't really a safe and stable place either. We get reminders of that all the time, that uh, we're not here for the comfort of this place. We have a, a bigger mission. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. Now here is an incredible uh, promise that God made to this church. He said, because you've been faithful, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the world. And uh, you know, when we get to, uh, this is in chapter 3, by the time we're in chapter 4, we're in the tribulation, the, the big test of the world. And uh, God says, because of your faith, I will keep you from that. You won't be going through it. He doesn't say, I'll keep you through it. He says, I'll keep you from it. And that is uh, a really, really major promise. And I know there's lots of Bible teachers that say, oh, yeah, well, we'll have to go through the tribulation because we're not that good. The, uh, we don't get there because we're that good. We get there because of our faith. And the Lord says, if you keep my word, if you keep your faith, then I will keep you from that. He didn't say that to all the churches. You know, we at the last church that we considered uh, last Tuesday that said that if you don't repent of your ways, you'll go through that tribulation. So there will be a church uh, in, during the tribulation. It just won't be us, hopefully. He says, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. And uh, this is the promise to the overcomer. You know, the few can overcome the temptations of the world and place your faith in, in the salvation that Christ uh, bought for us on the cross, then he, will, then he will take us away from the trials that are coming. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. And this uh, adds to the promise. You see, the church was small and insignificant and weak as far as numbers were concerned. And he says, in my temple, you will be a pillar. You will hold the place up. And uh, you know, that's, uh, that's a tremendous promise. It's not those that are strong in the world that are going to be the power in, the, in eternity. It will be those that are weak here. And, and, and you remember the Sermon on the Mount. You know, it says the, weak, the meek will inherit the earth not the guy with the biggest fist. He says, I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, 
which is coming down out of heaven from my God. I will also write on him my new name. So he says, you're going to be my people. You'll be identified as my people. And uh, he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And all of the letters end with that, uh, he who has an ear, listen, pay attention. Uh, We all have ears. And with the help of the rocks, we can all hear. So it's this message is for all of us. Now, uh, I, I would just like to call your attention back to Genesis and to Rebecca. The, uh, I didn't uh, speak about it much on the first trip through because Rebecca is a pretty interesting individual. You know, this uh, servant of Abram's went... Uh, he was sent back to Abram's family and uh, he was told to get a bride for Isaac and uh, he, he was a, an elderly gentleman and you can imagine uh, what he thought about uh, going to a bunch of strangers and looking them over and deciding which one of these is the right one. Uh, I remember uh, when I still young and single, I had a friend who was Chinese, and he ordered a bride from China, and uh, it was a little bit tense for him to go to the airport to greet her, and uh, he asked me if I'd go along, so I did, and uh, this big airplane pulled in, and and, uh, all these pretty Chinese girls started coming off it, and that's got to be the one. No, that's the one. No, I said, that's the stewardess. And, and, And finally... Uh, the right one came, and uh, it, it was it was sort of amusing, and it was I sort of felt for him a little bit too, you know, because this isn't that easy to do because they did look a lot alike, and uh, so uh, he eventually got the right one. So he, here's this uh, servant of Abram, and he's supposed to find a bride for Isaac amongst a bunch of strangers. And uh, so he prayed to God. He said, uh, you know, he, had, he had ten camels. Ten camels can drink a lot, especially when they've done a long journey through the desert. And uh, they were uh, they were loaded with uh, gold and, and jewels and trinkets to, to pay as the bride price. And uh, he prayed and said, uh, if a girl comes out, and I ask her for a drink, and she offers me a drink of water and says, I'll water your camels as well. This is a long shot. And, but he said, uh, if, if one of them does that, then I, I'll take that as a sign that this is the right one. And uh, uh, lo and behold, Rebecca came out, and uh, he asked her for a drink, and she she gave him a drink and says, I'll water your camels as well. So then uh, he had his answer to his prayer, and uh, uh, she, he introduced himself, and she said who she was, and she was of the family of Abram, of, of his relatives. And uh, so he had brought a price, a bride price. He had ten camel loads of treasure, and... Uh, the, that's a, that was pretty substantial. It's nothing compared to what the Lord paid for us, so he gave his life. But uh, 
the 10 camel loads of treasure were a major, major bride price uh, because Abram was an extremely wealthy man. So they, uh, then he, uh, he was invited in and they, uh, uh, he received hospitality from the family and he told them what his mission was. My, my mission is to find a, a bride for my master, Isaac. And uh, the, uh, so they, uh, and he said, that, you know, the, uh, the Lord had answered his prayer and Rebecca was the one that had been pointed out to him. And uh, the uh, uh, father and the brothers, they said, well, hang around for a couple of weeks and visit, you know, and we'll see how this goes. And uh, he said, no, no, he said, I really have to be on my way. Today is the day. And they said, well, let's ask Rebecca. And uh, they said, you want to go? And she says, yes, I'll go. You know, this is a pretty interesting thing because uh, all she really knew about this family she was going into is that they're extremely wealthy. But apart from that, uh, she really didn't know that much. And she was prepared to get on a camel and go into a new life. And that's, uh, you know, that's bold. It was also uh, tremendously significant for her because uh, we know all about her. The rest of the family have faded into obscurity. She was, you know, she was famous became, uh, as the... Uh, uh, mother of uh, Jacob, who was later called Israel, and as the father of the nation of Israel. But uh, I just uh, would like to place it before you. The offer is here for you to join the family of God. Are you still listening to the voices in the background that say, hang around for a while? You know, there's no hurry. If you are, you're missing out on a new life, and all of the good things that go far, far beyond anything that you've known in the past. And I just uh, would like you to seriously consider giving the answer that Rebecca gave. She said, yeah, let's go. And uh, when they went, uh, when they arrived, uh, not, not at uh, Isaac's home, but near, uh, it's interesting that Isaac came out to meet her and he was living at a place called Beer Lahoy Roy. Now, it, uh, all you Hebrew scholars, please forgive my pronunciation. But what that meant was the well of living water. So we have a Lord who will come from the well of living water to get us. And uh, we have to, however, agree to go. And we, you know, we can't just keep putting that off. So... Uh, I would like to leave you with that thought that the opportunity is before you today and the rewards are tremendous. The price you paid is far exceeds the value of 10 camel loads of trinkets. Let's have a closing prayer. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we come before you this day and we're just so amazed at your word and we're so amazed at your deeds and your actions and the value that you place on us. And I just ask, Lord, that if there's anyone here who has not yet accepted the invitation to become a part of your family, that they would make today that day.